0: Father, we just come to you tonight as just God Almighty. And Lord, we just come humbly that we could come and just study the word. And Lord, just that we'd be able to grow closer to you. And just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week, uh, when we left off, uh, Jacob had spent 20 years with his uncle Laban and uh, 14 years uh, for his two wives, and then six years, tending his flocks, and um, basically uh, uh, Jacob had really prospered there, and his uncle Laban was kind of looking at him with an evil eye, and uh, it was pretty much time to go, and then uh, God spoke to Jacob and told him, yeah, it's time to go, and Uh, He met with his wives and basically they kind of left just like that and uh, uh, so they they took and uh, Laban was off shearing his sheep and so you know if you're working with flocks uh, they they moved from area to area so where Laban had his flocks uh, we're going to see is about three days away and just so happened that he was off shearing his sheep when uh, Jacob made this decision to go and so uh, he talks to his wife, like I said, and they, his wives, and they decide we're going to pack up and we're going to take off. So they they haven't told uh, Laban anything. They're just on their way. So pick it up in Genesis 31, starting at uh, verse 22. It says, And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Uh, then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey and overtook him in the mountains of uh, Galeed. So it's, so it's three days later and, and he takes off and he chases him down. He finally catches him in the mountains of Gilead, which is like, uh, around 300 miles, uh, 300 miles away. And so, uh, based on that, we can say that Laban was pretty serious about, uh, catching, uh, Jacob. I don't know if you know, to put it into context, uh, Las Vegas is three, about 300 miles from, uh, San Diego, or if you're going north along the coast, San Luis Obispo is about 300 miles. So just imagine that you take off and start walking to Las Vegas. He gets there in seven days. Uh, So number one, Laban traveled, uh, excuse me, uh, but God had, uh, verse 24, but God came uh, to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. So uh, number one is that Laban traveled 300 miles to catch Jacob. And number two, uh, God intervenes for Jacob. And uh, I think that's really kind of significant that he kind of, you know, tapped uh, Laban on the shoulder and said, hey, you know, I don't want you messing with Jacob. And uh, we're going to see throughout this, uh, this this scene or whatever you want to say that plays out over chapters uh, 31, 32, and 33 that God regularly comes in and is active in the lives of men. And so it's not like God wound up the universe and walked away. Uh, he's actually a personal God. And you see how he, he he's acting here to uh, actually help uh, Jacob. So in verse uh, uh, 25, it says, so Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains and Laban with his brethren, uh, Uh, pitched it in the mountains of Gilead. So Laban didn't go by himself, right? In 26, And Laban said to Jacob, uh, What have you done uh, that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried my daughters like captives uh, taken with the sword? And why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? Uh, For I might have sent you away with joy and songs and timbrel and harp. And so... uh, (laughs) Laban's trying to play this now like he's heartbroken uh, uh, because he wasn't able to throw a party, right, for uh, Jacob and and his family. And and if you really stop and think about it, I think maybe he's he's just kind of trying to play Jacob right now. I mean, when was the last time that you walked 300 miles because your friend left and uh, you wanted to chase him down and, Talk to him about, how come you didn't let me give you a party? I mean, it really doesn't make much sense. But anyway, so he's kind of playing that card with uh, Jacob. In verse 28, uh, And and you did not allow me to kiss my sons and daughters. This is Laban speaking now. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. Uh, And so he kind of reveals himself here. He says, It is in my power to do your harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying... Uh, be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. you know you know he he says it's in my power to do you harm, but your God has spoken to me i I really think that when he left, he was on his way to uh, uh kill Jacob, but when God uh intervened, then Laban had to change his plan, so next, he accuses uh Jacob of stealing his gods in verse thirty he says uh, now you have surely." gone because you greatly longed for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Uh, then Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. And so Jacob's just really kind of stating the obvious there uh, about leaving, you know, because uh, it was highly unlikely that Laban would have said, oh yeah, go ahead and go and take all this stuff. Uh, but then Jacob goes on and answers the question about the gods in verse 32. He says, With whomever you find your gods, do not let him live in the presence of our brethren. Identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, into the two maids' tent, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel saddle, and then sat on them. And Laban searched all around the tent and did not find him. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of a woman is with me. And, and he searched, but he did not find the household idols. So Laban's went through the whole camp looking for these little uh, figurines or whatever they were, and uh, he can't find them. And really, uh, Rachel is kind of sitting on him in the tent there. And it's kind of interesting that Rachel deceives her father, something that he's really good at, right? And so she kind of turns that around on him. And it's—I uh, think it must be in the family DNA or something. I'm not sure. But verse 36. When Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban, and Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Uh, Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren that they may judge between us both. So, you know, uh, Jacob's getting a little indignant here, you know. Bring the stuff out. Where's it at, you know? Put it between my guys and your guys so that we can see it all. Uh, so um, uh, he 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 really goes on after that to tell Laban what he thinks of him. In verse uh, thirty-eight, he says, "These twenty years I've been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young." So Jacob's basically saying, "Hey, man, I was a good shepherd. You know, I uh, I was always around when your goats delivered, and I made sure there was no miscarriages." He says, I have not eaten of the rams of your flock. So it was acceptable for shepherds to eat uh, part of the flock uh, or or to eat animals that had uh, been killed or died um, of natural causes. But evidently he's not doing any of that. He says, that what was torn by, in verse 39, that which was torn by beast, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. So the contract that Laban had with, uh, with Jacob was uh, uh, pretty strict. You know, he was basically responsible for the loss of any of uh, Laban's animals. And so in verse 40, he says, There I was in the day the drought consumed me and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. So he's basically working hard, okay? 41, thus I have been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you've changed my wages 10 times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. So number three, after 20 years with Laban, Jacob is convinced the reason he has his freedom from Laban is because God is on his side. And verse 43, And Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and this flock is my flock. All you see is mine, but what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have born? Now therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, uh, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there on the heap. So we talked about this before. They would make these altars and most of them most times they're just piling up stones and so they come back to that area when they're working with their flocks. They could remember what happened there, what God did for them. So, you know, we can do the, the same thing. I mean, obviously we're probably not gonna build a pile of rocks, uh, but there are other things that we can do. I think way back we talked that you know in your Bible, you can mark up your Bible, and you know when at some particular time or day where God really speaks to you through a Bible verse, you can mark that up in your Bible and then when your Bible gets old and worn out, it's got so marked up, and then you get a new Bible and then you have the joy of copying all that stuff from your old Bible into your new Bible, and then you can go back and visit just like the guys tending their flocks they go they can go around so. If you're uh, adverse to write in your Bible, I'd say maybe, hey, get over it. Write in your Bible. Use that as a way that make that your little altars that you can come back to and you can remember how God uh, uh, worked in your life. So verse 47, Laban called it Jagar uh, Shahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. So Laban gave it the the difficult Aramaic name and uh, Jacob gave it the easy uh, Hebrew name. And Laban said, uh, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Galeed, also Mitzpah, because they said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. And so, you know, if you just take that verse and read it as a little snapshot right there, it sounds very nice, you know. You know, I could say that to anybody in this room, and it would be like, yeah, that's good. May the Lord watch over you while we're... But in the context that's written here, neither one of these guys trusts each other. And so they're basically saying, you know, may God actually kind of protect me from you, right, is when, when we're apart. And so, uh, in verse 50, it says, If you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see... God is the witness between you and me. And this is a typical covenant of that time. Remember, you make a covenant and the whole idea is, is that the, the, you're making this agreement and God is the witness. And if you do any break in a bit, then God's the one that's going to uh, make things right. Uh, it says in verse 51, Then Laban said to Jacob, Here is this heap and here is this pillar which I have placed between you and me. The heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of our father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. So number four, the covenant here, I mean, just to break it down is Jacob and Laban kind of drew a line in the sand, which Neither could cross to pursue the other one. So it's kind of like, hey, this is it here. I'm not going to come after you, and you're not going to come after me. Uh, "Then, Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain, and he called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread, and they stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning Laban rose, and he kissed his sons and daughters, and he blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. So Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. And he called the place Mahanam. Uh, Number five, Mahanam just equals two camps. Okay, and the idea here is uh, Jacob's camp and God's camp of angels to protect Jacob. Okay, what's going on here is the Lord is trying to reassure uh, Jacob uh, what he had told him 20 years earlier at Bethel. Remember when Jacob saw the ladder uh, and the angels ascending and descending on it uh, from heaven? And uh, and I'm just going to read you in Genesis 28, 13, 15. This is what God had promised him back there. Remember, this is when he was first starting. This is 20 years ago. And It says, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said above the ladder, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land of which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. And you and your seed and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So listen to this, what he says here now. In verse 15, he says, Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until what I have until I have done what I have spoken to you. So he's already promised Jacob 20 years ago, Look, man, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bring you back here. And so now he's in that bringing him backstage, all right? God's keeping his promise. So number six, uh, even with God's army of angels, Jacob is still worried about his brother. Okay, <clears throat> He's still worried about his brother. We're going to see here next. What does he do next? He's got an army of angels there. God's kind of trying to put his mind at ease. It's uh, very similar to that, that situation that Abraham had where he is freaking out over uh, winning all these battles with these uh, kings from uh, Iraq. And he comes and says, you know, I'm your shield, your great reward. You know, don't worry, I got your back. It's the same sort of thing happening here with uh, Jacob where God shows up and he's got this army of angels. I mean, his camp of angels obviously was as big as the people there. So uh, anyway, but uh, in verse 3, then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau's brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And we know later on that Esau is actually the king of Edom. And he commanded them saying, "Uh, speak thus to my Lord Esau, thus your servant Jacob says, I've dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I might find favor in your sight. So, in reality, what uh, Jacob is doing, he's kind of sending out a scouting party here uh, to to find Esau and just kind of get a feel for what's going on. And verse six, then the messengers return to Jacob, saying, <clears throat> "We came to your brother Esau. And he also is coming to meet you, with the, and four hundred men are with him." So, so remember, remember twenty years ago when they left, Esau was going to kill Jacob. So Jacob's still, this is still rolling around in the back of his mind. So he doesn't know what to make of the situation. You know, his brother's coming to him. He's got 400 guys. He's probably thinking, this can't be good. In verse 7, so Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. So he's making like a tactical decisions right now. But but then what does he do? He prays. Remember Jacob, remember he, when, when uh, Rachel wasn't getting pregnant, he prayed. So he's seriously praying. It's like a lot of times they talk about they're going to try to tell the guys in the military they can't pray. And I'm just saying, <laughs> when somebody's shooting at you, it's like you're not going to pray. So it's kind of a battlefield thing going on here. So, uh, he's then in verse 9, Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. I am, and then he goes and he says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I have crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me, and and the mother of my children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitude. So that he's praying here, right? So number seven is Jacob prayed, and so and number eight, what's going on here is Jacob is kind of reminding God. Of these promises that he made, and I think too, he's reminding himself, so eight is Jacob is reminding God and in himself of the promises that God has made to him and it and so it's always good when you're in the fix, and you know i've 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 found that i I come back to this verse over and over and over again, and since I went to that conference on the brain and how you make long-term memories. And I think what we're doing here, folks, if, if you're familiar with this verse, that's good. We're making a long-term memory that when you're in a situation similar to what uh, Jacob is in right now, there's a verse in the New Testament where God says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, no temptation, and that word it could be temptation or trial, right? No temptation or trial is overtaking you except such as common to man. In other words, you're not you can avers universe the you know any trial you're going through somebody else has went through it before you, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted or in a trial beyond what you are able, but with the temptation or trial will also make the way of escape so that you may be able to bear it so this is the verse that we would call up right now, right. I mean, God spoke directly to Jacob, made these promises, so he brought that up. Hey, God, remember this? So we have this here that we can say, hey, God, I know you're not going to give me anything you can't handle, right? What's my way out of this? Show me my way out, okay? So in verse 13, back in uh, Genesis, it says, so he lodged there that same night, and he, and he took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. Two hundred female goats and twenty male goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, thirty milk camels with their colts, forty cows, ten bulls, twenty female donkeys, and ten foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass over before me, and put some distance between the successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, Then Esau, my brother, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are all these in front of you? Then you shall say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau, and behold, he is also behind us. So he commanded the second, third, and all that followed the drove, followed the drove, saying, in this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him and say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face, and perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. So he's got all these animals, and he's sending them out in droves. So he sends out a pack, you know, and then they arrive to Esau, and they go through this little routine, and he saw no more, than that's over. And then another group of animals come. And so, uh, you know, uh, Jacob is trying to soften his brother up here. So, you know, he's giving him all these gifts and everything and so that uh, he won't kill him. So Jacob's still trying to control the situation. So, in uh, verse 32, And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and he crossed over the ford of Jabbok and he took them and sent them over the brook and he sent over uh what he had so what he's doing here, he's taking his family and his possessions that he's got there and uh he moves his family and goes across the 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 uh Jabbok. it's a uh, it's a creek or small river and he's basically trying to separate them from himself in case esau comes in the night then his family will be safe so he's still uh uh, uh, worried, and so verse uh, 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man. Okay, this man here, you know, it's capitalized at least in New King James. And what it is is a this is a, an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. This is similar to uh, what happened with Abraham before the Sodom and Gomorrah. So it's a, what they call a theophany. Uh, and so verse 24 then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day now when he saw that he did not prevail against him he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him and he said "Uh, let me go for the day breaks Uh, but he said I will not let you go unless you bless me now so we got Basically, Jacob is wrestling with God here in this scene. And it almost sounds like uh, uh, that Jacob is kind of speaking from a position of power. Hey, You can't do this. You need to you need to bless me. And and uh, when I read that, that's I thought, well, this is kind of strange. But actually, uh, in the book of Hosea, Hosea kind of clears it up. And I'll read it in Hosea, chapter 12 going to read verses two through five and in the context Hosea is you know he's prophesying uh, to Israel here and he says in starting verse two says the Lord also brings a charge against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways according to his deeds he will recompense him he took his brother by the heel in the womb so he's going back to his birth and and in his strength he struggled with God so he's talking about this scene that we just read about here, Jacob is, you know, he's this big man, strong man. He's he's like wrestling with God. It says in verse four, he says, yes, yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor uh, from him. He found him in Bethel and there he spoke to us. That is the Lord God of hosts. The Lord is his memorable name. So according to Hosea, number nine, Jacob was weeping when he asked the Lord uh, to bless him. So I think in this whole scene that Jacob is actually kind of broken. There's like a point, a turning point, I think, in uh, everyone's life. We we talked about it with uh, Abraham in that last time he met with Abimelech. Something had changed in his life. And I think this here was the the turning point in uh, Jacob's life. So in verse 27, he said, so he said to him, what, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. So obviously God knew what his name was, but he was asking him, hey, what's your name? And so he says, Jacob, remember Jacob meant what deceiver, right? A usurper, you know, he's kind of got this, the, the, the type of name he has kind of describes who he is as a matter of fact. And so God's reminding him, Hey, what's your name? And so he's saying, well, it's uh, Jacob. And so, and he said, God's answering back to him. He says, and your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. So this, you know, I always like to know what these different names mean. And, you know, Israel, you know, we know that it's got God in it because it ends in E-L. And, uh, but it depend I read a lot of different things and, uh, everybody seems to have their own idea about it. But the simplest one that that I landed on, and maybe somebody else really knows, I don't think anybody really knows, but uh, the one that I got is this uh, Israel equals God prevails. And so it's interesting that, that, remember, God changed Abraham's name to Abram to Abraham, and now he's changing uh, Jacob's name to Israel. In this idea of Israel, because it's the name of a guy, and it's the name of a country. And the easiest way for me to explain, I've explained it before this way, is uh, when you're on board a ship, you have, there's the captain of the ship. And uh, so when the captain's gonna leave the ship, they will, they'll ring a bell, ding, and then they'll say the name of the ship. Because the captain represents the ship, he is the ship. So they'll say, uh, "One of the ships I was on it was called the USS Wabash." They would say, "They would say um, Wabash departing," and then when he'd actually leave, they'd ding the bell. So everybody know, hey, the captain's gone. So when the captain's coming down the pier again, they would say, uh, "Wabash arriving," and so when he crossed the quarterdeck, ding, they hit the bell again. So the man and the ship were one and the same. And so uh, so depending on what context you're used in, where you're reading in the Bible, if you're reading and they're talking about Israel and it's like they're talking about a guy, they're talking about you know Jacob. But by the same token, they could be using the term Israel and they're talking about a country. So words always get their meaning by the context they're used in. And so that's where you'll see uh, Israel uh, used. Verse 29, then Jacob asked, saying, <clears throat> tell me your name, I pray. <clears throat> and he said, this is God. Why is it you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen the seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. So Jacob thought if you ever came face to face with God, he's a dead man, right? So Peniel means facing God or... The face of God. Verse 31 Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle uh, that shrank, uh, which is in the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle of the shank. And to this day, Orthodox Jews uh, refuse to eat the tendon of the hind quarter of uh, animals and it actually if you've ever had uh, sciatic pain uh, that's the that's the tendon that got uh, problems with and that's very very uncomfortable so uh, you got you hear you got uh, uh, jacobs in this situation now where he's crippled up you can imagine the worst possible sciatic pain that you got i mean it's you can't get comfortable, it's hard to walk, just it's just a really bad feeling. So that's his physical condition. And so he's got he's got Uncle Laban behind him. He just did a covenant. He can't go back there. And he's got his brother, Esau, that's you know, twenty years ago said i to kill him, right? So he's kind of in a he's kind of in a pickle right now. And uh so starting uh, chapter 33, verse 1, says, Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming, and with him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants, and he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. So, uh yeah, he saw in front of him, laying behind him. He's like freaking out right now, so um, he ranges his family in the order of who he likes best. I mean, that's what he it does. It's like, and this is going to come back too. You'll see this come back, and the very last ones was Rachel and Joseph, because he liked Rachel and Joseph the best, right? So he put them back, thinking, thinking if, you know, if he kills off, starts killing off the family, he'll get the ones he cares least about until he finally gets to the rear. So now that's the way he's thinking, right? So uh, uh, he's, he's, he's limping, you know, after wrestling with God. The guy's beat up. I mean, he's in the worst possible position that he can be in. But if you really stop and think about it, sometimes God will put us in that place in order to, like, you know, get our attention. And so Paul talks about this. In Second Corinthians uh, chapter 12 and read it 7 through 10, it says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan uh, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Paul realizes that he's, you know, turning out scriptures. He's, he's really, you know, he's like the, the greatest missionary of all times. He says, concerning this thing, and so he I got this thorn on my side so I don't get too, like, big-headed. Yeah. He says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gl- gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs, and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. And Jacob's about to learn this very thing right here. So he's worried about it. He bowed to Esau seven times. That's in the in that back in the day that meant he was treating Esau like he was a king. I mean that's the the honor that you would show to a king if you bowed seven times. So in verse four, but But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And as He lifted his eyes up and saw the women and children. He said, who are these with you? So he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Uh, Then the maidservants came near and their children and bowed down. And Leah also came near with her children and they bowed down. And afterward, Joseph and Rachel came near and they bowed down. Then Esau said, what do you mean with by all this company which I met? It's like, what's going on, man, all this stuff? And he said, these, these are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have to yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then receive my present from my hand inasmuch as I have seen your face as though I've seen the face of God, and you were pleased with me. please. Take my blessings that I that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me because I have enough. So he urged him and he took it. So number 10, Jacob is not the same man that left 20 years ago. Completely different guy. Uh, he would have totally taken advantage of the situation 20 years ago. But you know what? He's been around now. I think he's been, you know, Uncle Laban is... I think he's got some context to life and he understands how it feels to be taken advantage of. And so he's saying, no, oh, you know what? God's blessed me with all this stuff. You just keep it. 32, then Esau said, uh, let us take our journey. Let us take our journey. Let us go and I will go before you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are weak and the flocks and the herds, which are nursing, are with me. And if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flock will die. Uh, Please let my Lord go on ahead before a servant, and I will lead slowly at a pace which the livestock that go before me and the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in seer. So he's basically saying, you know, go ahead and go. You know, we need to move slow here. Uh, Just go ahead and go. And then at 15, Esau said, now let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, now Jacob's talking back. He says, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called uh, Succoth. So it sounds like uh, Esau's going to spend some time in this place here. So, um, you know, that's all we have, uh, for tonight, but it's, I think there's something that, you know, we can learn, you know, that from maybe for our own lives or people around us, that maybe, you know, that somebody, a Christian or somebody, you know, is like, maybe not where you think they should be, but you know, God's got a plan for them. God had a plan for Jacob. I mean, if we'd have known Jacob at the beginning of that 20-year thing, we'd be like, oh, man, I don't know what's up with that guy, right? He's a he's a real knucklehead. But, you know, God hung with Jacob over those years, and now uh, Jacob has kind of met, got to that turning point in his life, kind of like Abraham did, kind of like all of us. At some point, you know, it's like, okay, I think I get it now. And um, you know, it just takes different people uh, more time. You know, I'm still working on it, but... You know, God is faithful that, you know, he doesn't give up on us. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and uh, just that we can see your grace uh, uh, throughout all these stories that uh, and Genesis and Jacob. And Lord, we're going to see more stuff. And uh, Father, I just uh, pray that as we, as we, live our lives, that we would remember you, and we would, uh, that our thoughts and our hearts and our minds would go to you, the almighty God of the universe, and Lord, that we could just uh, marvel in how awesome you are, that we can have a relationship with you. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.